Good morning. It's great to see all of you this morning. Uh, Today we come to a passage that we just couldn't ignore in a series on prayer. I think it'll be familiar to you. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. When you pray, when you pray, don't be like hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. I assure you that's the only reward they'll get. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think by saying many words they'll be heard. Don't be like them. Because your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your sins. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, Many years ago, uh, we hired a babysitter for my children so Kelly and I could go on a date. Uh, We were, uh, they are now about 24, 25. Then they were about three and four. Uh, We were serving the First United Methodist Church of Winter Park then. And so we asked a, a member of the youth group to come and be the babysitter. We knew her, we liked her, we trusted her. Well, when we got home from our date, we discovered that the door between the hallway, which led to the children's bedrooms, and the den had been kicked down. Apparently, while we were out, my three-year-old son, John, had managed to lure the babysitter into the hall, close the door, and lock her in so that he and his sister could roam the house unsupervised. If you've ever met my son, that won't surprise you at all. (laughs) And yes, he was three years old. Well, because she had to care for these children and because they were the pastor's kids and because there was no other way out of that part of the house, she saw no other alternative but to kick the door down. That's the image I want you to have this morning, that that the one that you consider important, the one that you're trying to reach, the one you want to spend time with is on the other side of the door, but the door seems to be locked. 
So we are in a 40-day season of prayer that we're calling thresholds. Uh, The threshold, of course, is that strip that goes beneath the door, whether it's locked or not. And when you step across the threshold, you pass from one room or space into another. As you arrived at church today, you stepped across the threshold to enter into the building. You stepped across the threshold to enter into our worship space. And in a bit, you'll be crossing a threshold to go back outside and get on with your day. Each space, each place has its own unique purpose. We do different things in different rooms. And we've said that prayer is a bit like that. That when we pause to pray, it's like stepping across a threshold to be in the presence of God, to be in conversation with God, to be with a God who is knowable and wants to be known by you and me. But what do you do when the door across the threshold appears to be closed, not just closed, it appears to be locked? Sealed shut, barred, chained, glued, guarded by dogs. You just can't get through it. Or maybe I'll say this more plainly. What what do you do when it feels like there are barriers, obstacles to a successful, fulfilling, fruitful prayer life? When it seems like there's something standing in the way of knowing God as we are describing it. Now, now let me be very clear. God does not put doors between us and him. In fact, in Revelation, he gives us the image of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And he'll come in as soon as we answer and open the door. That's who God is. There are no barriers. God desires to be with us. But our perception is Sometimes the prayer is difficult. What do I say? How do I know what I'm supposed to pray? When am I supposed to pray? How am I supposed to pray? Where am I supposed to pray? Etc. etc. Just these basic questions. And yet they're important to us, aren't they? And so sometimes it feels like I know I'm supposed to pray, I just don't really know how. So today we're going to talk about what feels like barriers to prayer, obstacles to prayer. And hopefully Jesus provides for us some basic instruction to make prayer less of a a foreboding thing, a challenge, something that seems more accessible to us. Luke 11.1 says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John, this is John the Baptist, just as John taught his disciples. Now, interesting, Jesus' hand-picked followers didn't know how to pray. Jesus, would you teach us how? We know that John the Baptist taught his followers, we want you to do the same. Also, interestingly, we don't know what John taught his followers. That's been lost to us. But we do know what Jesus taught. In the passage I read from Matthew, Jesus said, when you pray, now isn't that interesting? Not if you pray, when you pray. Go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present 
in that secret place. Now we begin just with that simple uh, understanding of Jesus. When you pray, Jesus doesn't dictate the day, the hour, the time, uh, the rhythm. He just says, when you pray. Apparently it's up to us to have that conversation, to make that time into our schedule to be with God. But he is more clear about where to pray. He says, go to your room and shut the door. Jesus, of course, didn't have the benefit of a room to go into. He often had to leave the crowd and go out into nature. He would climb the mountain to be alone because amidst the crowd, it was hard to focus on God. I think Jesus is acknowledging a very real obstacle to prayer, and that's distractions. How many of us struggle with prayer simply because of everything going on in our lives? The phone is ringing, the TV is on, the kids are screaming in the other room, that there's traffic, that uh, there's work to be done. We, we get caught off you know, looking and thinking about all kinds of different things. And Jesus says, when you pray, cross the threshold into a place just to be with God. Dedicate some time just for prayer. Some people have prayer closets. Some people have prayer rooms. Some people have prayer corners. Maybe for you, it's just sitting in a room by yourself. Maybe it's out in the garage. Maybe it's a longer shower than you absolutely need. Maybe it's after you drop off the kids at school, before you go to the office, sitting in your car for just a few more moments. The where isn't nearly as important as finding that place you can switch your, you switch your thought, switch your focus, and to concentrate on God. So those are pretty two basic questions. When do I pray? Anytime. Where do I pray? Somewhere where you can put your focus on God. And notice the promise that's given in this. When you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present. We don't have to wonder if God hears us when we pray because when we go through that simple process of giving, devoting a certain amount of time to God, God is there. God is with us. Well, then he goes on to give a bit further instruction. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Does that sound familiar? And yet it's different. We, of course, know it as the Lord's Prayer, but most of us through the years have, have memorized a different version based on the King James translation uh, of the teaching of Jesus. This comes from the Common English Bible, so it sounds a little bit different. Now, something that's always been interesting to me is that the disciples went to Jesus for instruction on prayer. Jesus, teach us how to pray. And isn't it interesting that Jesus basically gave them nothing more than just something that we can memorize and just say without thinking or even understanding what it means, just at the drop of a hat, any of us could recite the Lord's Prayer. Isn't it interesting that that's what Jesus offered for us? Or is that what Jesus was doing? 
I want to suggest that while there's nothing wrong to saying the Lord's Prayer, that maybe we've misunderstood the instruction. Rather than just Jesus saying, listen, when you don't know what to pray, just say this. He's giving us an outline. He's giving us certain bullet points. When you pray, I'd like for you to focus on these kinds of things. Let's, let's use the traditional King James version we know to think about what Jesus specifically instructed. He begins with who we pray to, our Father, who art in heaven. This isn't your earthly father. This isn't your birth father. This is a particular kind of father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, the Bible provides many, many names and titles for God. They're all acceptable in prayer. Uh, This isn't meant to say that exclusively we pray to the man in the sky. Rather, what Jesus is describing to us is a familial understanding of God, a relational understanding of God. He also referred to God as a mother. So all of these terms are acceptable. The point is, this is a God that knows you, loves you, and cares about the details of your life. Our Father. That's who you're praying to. Not an absent deity, not a distant deity, not an unnameable deity, but someone that knows and wants to be known by you. But then he says, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means holy, and holy means other, different, set apart, unlike anyone or anything else. Think about that. In just one short phrase, Jesus tells us the one that you go to meet with in your prayer room, the one that you spend time with in prayer is like a loving parent who cares deeply about the details of your life, who is also holy, unlike any other in the universe. I wonder when you pray, to whom do you pray? What do you call God? Do you know God in both such a personal and revered way? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then Jesus gives us some instruction on what to pray. He said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus talked an awful lot about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. He often told parables about the kingdom of heaven. When someone would ask a question and then answer it correctly, he would say, the kingdom of heaven is close to this one and and even sometimes within. This line, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is the theme of Jesus's ministry that God's desire, God's purpose in sending Jesus was that his kingdom of heaven would come upon the earth. It was and is the will of God. And so the invitation here is not just to recite a line, but to specifically pray that our little corner of the earth might be more like heaven. That the neighborhoods in which we live might resemble heaven, that the homes in which we dwell might be more like heaven, that our families might be more like heaven, our classrooms, our workplaces, our government, even our church. Heaven, a place of love and justice, a place where all are wanted and all are welcomed, a place centered on the active presence and will of God. 
I wonder, where in your life would you say is most like heaven? Where the kingdom of heaven is most obviously at hand. And I wonder in your life, where are those places that are least like heaven? Have you prayed recently to this place, to this relationship, to this conflict? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then Jesus tells us, give us this day, pray this, give us this day our daily bread. Now let's be honest for a moment. Most of us don't wonder where we're going to get our next meal. There are people in the world, of course, who are dependent upon God and the kindness of strangers for the next meal that they eat. Some live on the streets of Orlando. Some live in developing nations. That is a reality for many in the world, a daily dependence on God. But sometimes people like us forget that God is the one who provides for all of our needs every day. If we have jobs, if we have an income, if we have a credit card, cash in our wallet, we can just go to Publix and get our bread and our meat and our cheese and anything else we want to eat. We may forget that we as Christians believe every good and perfect gift comes from above. That's James 1.17. We may forget that we sing every Sunday praise God, from whom all blessings flow. So when Jesus says, pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's a reminder to us that God is the one who provides our daily provision. We are dependent upon him for that and that everything comes from him. Now bread, of course, is just a metaphor for our physical needs. We need food to eat, shelter to live in, clothing to wear, work to to use our gifts, our abilities. We need companionship. We need medicine for our our bodies when we're sick. There, There are basic physical needs. Bread is just a metaphor for that. But I think it's important that we acknowledge in this instruction on prayer, Jesus says, give us this day our daily Bread. He's talking about physical needs. And there is a difference between a need and a want. We need bread. We may prefer a hamburger. We need clothes, but we may prefer designer labels. You understand what I mean. There's a difference in this world between needs and wants. We certainly can bring our wants before God, but Jesus says, start with your needs. Let me give you an example. I was once on a mission trip to Mexico to a little city called Tilaxcala. We were working with a a little Methodist church there doing some construction projects. I was staying at the church and I discovered uh, in the bathroom the toilets did not have toilet seats. Now, if you've ever been to Mexico, you probably know that because of the water and something they call Montezuma's Revenge, any time in Mexico may lead to extended time in the bathroom and the toilet. And a toilet without a toilet seat is just hard, cold porcelain. I concluded that maybe they just didn't have them in this little village. And and so one day I'm at the hardware store with the pastor and there they are. And so I, being young and and not too smart, said to the pastor, why don't we have toilet seats at the church? 
To which he responded, toilet seats are a luxury, and we can't afford luxuries. Would, would you raise your hand if before this moment you've ever thought of a toilet seat as a luxury before? Any? Not many of us have ever considered our toilet seats a luxury. I'm willing to bet that if most of us got home today and somehow our toilet seats had magically disappeared, we would all head to the store without even questioning whether or not we need a toilet seat. I'll tell you, once a toilet seat becomes a luxury, the difference between wants and needs becomes much clearer. Future work in Guatemala, I discovered even porcelain toilets are a luxury. That's more for another day. I wonder today, what do you need? What do you need? And have you brought that before God in prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. So then Jesus says, don't, don't forget, when you pray, say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Of course, trespass is an old word from the King James for sin. And we say that sin is anything that separates us from God. We, we've been describing this uh, prayer life as being relational that the point of prayer is to know God. Well, you know, as well as I do, that in any human relationship, a marriage, a friendship, a partnership, sometimes we can do damage to those relationships by what we say or don't say, but what, by what we do or don't do. And I suspect you know exactly what I mean, that sometimes in our human relationships, we create distance. We've hurt or been hurt, we've offended or been offended. And that distance does not go away until one or both parties say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Jesus is reminding us that all fall short of the glory of God. All of us in our relationship with God have fallen short. We've sinned. We've done or not done things that have offended this relationship with God. There is relational distance. God is ready to forgive as we ask, forgive us our trespasses. And I'll say more about this next week. Next week, we're gonna talk about repentance and confession and prayer and God's grace. But I'll just simply note here, there's a conditionality to this forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses as in the same way that we forgive those who trespass against us. You see, it's reciprocal. As God forgives us, he intends us to forgive others. The same grace we receive is meant to be passed on. I wonder this morning what you might need to confess to God. I wonder this morning who you might need to forgive. Which brings us Finally, to the last part of Jesus' teaching on prayer. He says, pray, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I've always struggled with this, uh, this translation of Jesus' words. It seems to imply that Jesus or God might actually lead us into temptation. And I frankly just don't believe that. I think it's a rather poor 
translation of what Jesus meant. You may be aware that in the last year, Pope Francis actually officially changed the words for the Catholic Church. Rather than saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, he changed it to be more biblically accurate, to say, do not let us fall into temptation. Do you see the difference? As we traditionally pray it, it implies God might be a tempter, might lead us into situations in which we might fall, whereas the more accurate biblical translation says, God, help us not to fall. Do not let us fall. Why do I say that's a more accurate biblical translation? James 1, 13 through 15. No one who is tested should say, God is tempting me. This is because God is not tempted by any form of evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Everyone is tempted by their own cravings. They're lured away and enticed by them. Once these cravings conceive, they give birth to sin. And when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. Rather than worrying that God might trip us up by leading us in temptation, rather we are to go to God to acknowledge, confess our temptations. God, there are things in this world that entice me. I need your help. I need your spiritual strength. So that's it. How often have just these simple things seemed as though they were locked doors in our relationship with God? How do I get past these obstacles? But Jesus makes it pretty simple. Find a time to pray. You pick the time. Find a place, just somewhere free of distraction. When you go there, know that God is with you. You can count on that. Know who you're praying to. A loving father who is both relational and absolutely holy. And when you pray, if you don't know what else to say, okay, say the Lord's Prayer. You you already know it by heart. But maybe also use it in this way. Take a moment to pray for more heaven on your little corner of the earth. Pray for your daily needs. Ask God to forgive you for your shortcomings and pray that God will help protect you from the enticements of the day. And I'll simply end with this, and this is beyond Jesus's teaching. But I think the Bible would tell us over and over, when you pray, don't give up. Keep on doing it, even when you're not sure. Does it seem like the door is locked? pray anyway. You're not sure who's in the other room? Pray anyway. Aren't sure what to pray? Pray anyway. You're tired? You're distracted? You're busy? Pray anyway. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. To which Jesus adds, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present in that secret place. Let us pray.